Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Thank all of you for joining us this morning for Easter here at North Sound Church. It's great to see you all. So glad you decided to spend part of your special day with us. Well, today I'm going to do something. I don't know if I've ever done it before on Easter, but normally I just do a one-off talk on Easter and, uh, and, then we, uh, and then we start something the next Sunday. But today I'm actually going to start a new sermon series um, that begins today, and it's about heaven. And uh, it's a sermon series that we've used in the past because it's one of those things that we need to be reminded of every so often. This has been, as you heard in Pastor Robin's prayer, it's been a difficult season for a number of families at North Sound Church, having lost loved ones. And we need to be reminded of heaven in that context. And then some of us are getting on in years, and we're thinking about the fact that it won't be too long before we join Jesus in heaven, and we kind of wonder what that's all about. And so uh, this morning, we begin the series called Uh, for heaven's sake. And today the talk is going to be called, Is That All There Is? And don't worry, it's it's not very long this morning, so bear with me. On March 26, 1920, a baby girl of Norwegian and Swedish ancestry, Norma Dolores Eggstrom, was born. Now, I could say she was born in Ballard, right? But she wasn't. She was born in Jamestown, North Dakota, in the Great Plains. Her mom died when she was just four years old, and and, and it's a classic fairy tale story because her dad remarried, and the woman that he remarried was mean and cruel to little Norma. She had a very rough life growing up, but one positive experience that she had was that people commented on her beautiful voice. So she sang at church, she sang in the glee club at school, she sang with college bands that offered her an opportunity to sing, and when she got old enough, she thought maybe she could go to Hollywood and and make it there as a singer, but alas, she did not, and she came home, and she got a job at WDAY Radio in Fargo, North Dakota. And it was at WDAY Radio that the station manager... Ken Kennedy christened her Peggy Lee. Peggy was a successful life professional. She had had amazing success as a singer, but just as successful as her professional life was, her personal life was marked by failure. She suffered through four failed marriages. And in 1969, she released an album that talked about the yearning of her heart. And uh, I I think that it captured also the yearning of the hearts of people everywhere. And you know the title of the lead song. If you know it, say it with me. Is that all there is? I want to share with you the lyrics of that song. Uh, It's such a sad song. And you're wondering, why would Pastor Barry share the lyrics of such a sad song at Easter time? But... We'll, we'll get to the other side of this song in a few minutes. But she sings this sad song, and the last verse of the song goes like this. She says, I know what you must be saying to yourselves. If that's the way she feels about it, why doesn't she just end it all? 
Oh, no, not me. I'm not ready for that final disappointment because I know just as well as I'm standing here talking to you, when that final moment comes and I'm breathing my last breath, I'll be saying to myself, is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball. If that's all there is. It was just a short time after the 767, American Airlines 767, went into the wall of the Pentagon that um, I had a privilege as a Navy chaplain to go and work at the Pentagon at the Family Assistance Center. And uh, it was surreal. It was a surreal time for all of us, but uh, it was a privilege to be with these families who had suffered so greatly. Some of them were Navy families or other military families whose loved ones were in the Pentagon when the plane went in. Other people in the Pentagon Family Assistance Center that was based in the Sheraton Hotel in Crystal City, which is right beside where the Pentagon is located in Northern Virginia. Um, The other families were from the American Airlines flight. And each day, um, a Army general who was assigned to them would brief them in the morning and brief them in the evening about what was happening on, at the Pentagon, at the site where their loved ones were killed. Various insurance companies were there and met to try and make things as easy as possible for these families that were suffering. One of the things that chaplains did was take the families over to a hill overlooking the Pentagon so that they would be able to see where their loved ones passed away. And one of the things that, when I was there, was very important to the families was the fact that there were no remains of their loved ones because the 767 was headed across country. It was full of fuel, and so basically their loved ones were incinerated, and they wondered, when we go home, what can we take to remember our loved ones by because there there, there was essentially no remains. And uh, the general at the time I was there said, uh, you can't take rubble because of biohazards with the rubble that's there, but eventually they resolved the issue. Think about these families standing on the hill overlooking the Pentagon where just a few days earlier their loved ones lived and worked, or thinking about their family who had got on the airliner. And you have to believe that in their heart of hearts, as they looked on this scene, the question on the heart of each one of them was, is this all there is? When life is at its worst, the cry of the human heart is that question, is that all there is? And even when life is at its best, there's a certain vacancy in our lives that points to something more. Have you ever been on vacation, perhaps in a beautiful place, or maybe right here in the Northwest? Edmonds is just this wonderful community in which we live, and we have the opportunity to enjoy, especially now beginning this time of year and through summer, the wonderful sunsets over the Cascade Mountains. And, and, and we, we love these scenes. We, we love the beauty of the land in which we live. But even at the moment when we're looking at the sunset and we think in our hearts, it doesn't get any better than this, we find there's also a vacancy that says, there's a yearning in my heart for something more. There's got to be something more than this experience. Mark Buchanan has written a great book called Things Unseen. 
He talks about this yearning for something more, this something that will complete us, because even in our best moments we feel incomplete. He tells the story of his friend Eugene, and I'm going to to share in Mark's words the story of his friend Eugene. I like this story because I think it's an every man story, an every woman story. Mark's story of his friend Eugene is my story and it's your story. Maybe the details are different. Maybe it's not quite as graphic, but essentially I think it's the story that each one of us live out. Here in Mark's words are the story of his friend Eugene. Eugene drove home one day to find the house cleaned out. His wife had left and had taken their two-year-old daughter, Heather, with her. All she left was a note. She had been having an affair with his best friend and had gone to be with him. Eugene suffered pain so great that had not the numbness of the shock also come over him, it would have pulled him to pieces. His wife and daughter, along with the man she had uh, stole off with, had vanished, leaving no forwarding address. Every night for months, Eugene drove through the city streets, going to every place he thought they might be. His search was in vain. After each attempt, he would go home to a cold house, desolate, and fall on his knees and weep and beg God. Finally, Eugene found them. His wife refused to come back. Through some legal maneuvers, she gained exclusive custody of their daughter, Heather, who was then four. The man she had run off with adopted Heather, and they never told her of Eugene's existence. When she was eight, Heather's mother died, and his last link with his daughter snapped. Eugene lost his little girl. On a shelf, Eugene keeps a photograph of Heather and himself taken the day before he last saw her. He's young and sad. She's a small girl in a red jacket, her hair swept over her face by the wind. She looks puzzled the way children do when they know something is wrong but don't know what it is. In a matter of hours, they would be separated for almost 20 years. Every day for 20 years, Eugene prayed for her. In time, Eugene met a beautiful lady, a mother with two girls who had been through her own Jobian trials. They married and adopted a son, and they've had years of good health and financial prosperity. They moved into and renovated a beautiful log home with a yard sloping down towards gardens edged in brilliant azaleas and rhododendrons, and the main windows and deck overlooking an inner harbor where sailboats and sports boats and yachts come in and go out. Their marriage is strong, their children and grandchildren are thriving, they travel to Maui or California or Kentucky for holidays, they have many friends who would do anything for them and they would do anything for their friends. A few years ago, on Eugene's 50th birthday, Heather came back. She found Eugene and wrote to him and she came back. She lives hundreds of miles away, but they have extended visits with each other and several times a year she's become part of his life, part of his family. Eugene's wife and she are now friends. Heather calls her mom, and often the two of them will stay up late into the night and talk about anything and everything while Eugene, who loves his sleep, shuffles off to bed. Good night, honey, he says to her. Good night, Dad, she says. The second Christmas after Heather came back, she shyly showed him her credit card. What's this, he asked. Look at the name. She said she had changed her name. It was the same as his. Like Job, who had so much restored to him, Eugene's life had become good. But there remained a deep vacancy. 
there was the realization along with the joy of how much had been lost. He, he couldn't tuck Heather into bed, teach her to ride a bicycle, tell her about God, for now Heather had little interest in God and church. In the midst of life, as good as it gets, we long for more. I like the way Buchanan wraps up this story of Eugene. He talks about heaven. He says, heaven is where our inescapable sense of loss and incompleteness is overcome. It's the one thing large enough to answer our deepest longings and console our deepest griefs. Our hunger for perfect justice and perfect joy and perfect peace are met there. Maybe, just maybe, the sorrow is not forgotten or bathed in the light of perfect understanding. Maybe all of it, every last shred of it, is redeemed, is given back. And Eugene gets to tuck Heather into bed and sing her a lullaby. The writer of Ecclesiastes knows something about this. In chapter 2, he describes his search for meaning and fulfillment in life. He pretty much had everything anyone could want, but it wasn't enough. This is what he said. He says, oh, I did great things, built houses, planted vineyards, designed gardens and parks, and planted a variety of fruit trees in them, made pools of water to irrigate the groves of trees. I bought slaves, male and female, who had children, giving me even more slaves. Then I acquired large herds and flocks, larger than any before me in Jerusalem. I piled up silver and gold. Loot from kings and kingdoms, I gathered a chorus of singers to entertain me with song, and most exquisite of all pleasures, voluptuous maidens for my bed. Oh, how I prospered. I left all my predecessors in Jerusalem far behind. I left them behind in the dust. What's more, I kept a clear head through it all. Everything I wanted, I took. I never said no to myself. I gave in to every impulse, held back nothing. I sucked the marrow of pleasure out of every task. My reward to myself for a hard day's work. Then I took a good look at everything I'd done. Looked at all the sweat and hard work, but when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke. Smoke and spitting into the wind. There was nothing to any of it. Nothing. He asked himself the question, is that all there is? And he answered his own question with a resounding no. He yearned for something more. He goes on in the next chapter to give a glint of hope, a moment of expression of what this something more may look like. He says, he has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. He said eternity in the hearts of men. What does it mean to have eternity, to have heaven set in our hearts? What difference does it make to have eternity, to have heaven set in our hearts and our minds? I know that the North Sound people would be disappointed if I didn't quote C.S. Lewis in a sermon, so here goes. <laughs> C.S. Lewis, Lewis made this astute observation about how we have eternity in our hearts and what that means as far as heaven is concerned. He says this, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger while there's such a thing as food. 
A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. I find in myself no experience which this world can satisfy. If I find in myself no experience which this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not mean that the universe is a fraud. Earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. He goes on to say this. He says, when the real want for heaven is present in us, we do not recognize it. Most people, if they had readily learned to look into their own hearts, would know what they do want and want acutely. And that is something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that can offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. Is this all the life there is? C.S. Lewis would say no. The very longing we have for something more is evidence of its existence. The experience of this life makes us long for something more. Heaven is where we will finally experience completeness. The book of Revelation gives us a record of John's vision. And it says a few things about heaven as well. And in chapter 21, we have a brief description of the kind of place it will be. John says, I heard a voice of thunder from the throne. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and women. They're his people. He's their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good. Tears gone, crying gone, pain gone. The answer to the question, is that all there is, becomes a resounding no in the light of heaven. Some of you may have heard of Florence Chadwick. Florence Chadwick came into fame Uh, in the late 40s, early 50s, as a swimmer. She was the first woman to swim the English Channel. And in 1952, she decided to tackle the stretch of water between Catalina Island and the coast of Southern California. And she um, set out in a morning that was foggy and cold. And as she began to swim, the boats that were accompanying her for safety, she could hardly see as she was swimming. When she begged to be taken out of the water because of the cold, her, her mom was in a boat beside her and would encourage her that it was, it was just a little farther to keep at it. It was just a little farther. But finally, she gave up. She got out of the, the water. She climbed into the boat. And as she climbed into the boat, she discovered that the shore was less than half a mile away. At the news conference the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Why study heaven? Because this is not all there is. And seeing the shore can give us strength for today and a bright hope for tomorrow. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for heaven. 
We thank you, Lord, that as we gather this Resurrection Sunday, this day in which we proclaim that he has risen, we recognize, Lord, the promise that is ours, because you have been raised, we shall be also. Lord, we thank you that because of your life, your death, your resurrection, this is not all there is. We look forward, Lord, to the fulfillment of our heart's desire. In Jesus' name, amen.